What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Closing the Loop. Today's guest is Oscar Mary, co-founder of Fountain App, a popular podcasting 2.0 enabled app for sharing clips of your favorite podcast segments and supporting your favorite podcast creators directly by streaming and boosting sats. As you may have noticed, here at CT, we are big advocates of the emerging Bitcoin Lightning enabled value for value model. We believe it's the future of free expression and digital media monetization, and so we'd love to see other teams working hard to build it into reality. With each of our shows, all the sats that are streamed or boosted by our listeners, thank you by the way, are divided between everyone involved in the show, including myself, our sound producer, our guest, and sometimes others. Most often our guests opt to have their stream directed as a kind of donation to an organization which they support. For this episode, Oscar is directing his stream to a fund that Fountain has set up to donate to new users who do not yet hold any Bitcoin. So as you stream sats while listening to this episode, know that you are not only helping to onboard new Bitcoiners, but are also helping to reduce the friction in getting people set up and started in the value for value ecosystem. Anyways, that's it. Enjoy the show. Oscar, what's up, man? Thanks for coming on for a chat today. Yeah, no worries, John. Great to be on. So um, you've obviously been building the Fountain app, which you know we at CT are very much involved in uh, pushing forward value for value, especially as it relates to podcasting 2.0. Um, really passionate about the emergence of that model and what Bitcoin does to facilitate it. So you know maybe. To get started, you can just introduce yourself, uh, the app, and then we'll just roll from there. Sure, yeah, I would love to. So my name's Oscar Mary, and yeah, as you said, I'm building Fountain Podcast, which fundamentally is just a podcast app. So it does everything that you would expect um, Apple Podcasts or Spotify to do in terms of searching for podcasts, listening to podcasts, uh, saving all your shows and episodes, and um, a great listening experience. Um, the two differentiators with Fountain are number one, you can create and share clips. So the idea behind this is we really want to make it easy for the listener to identify and share the best moments that they think exist within podcast episodes. This is something that, um, podcasters have had the ability to do for a long time and have done so on social media to you know, promote their episodes, but we wanted to give this ability to the listener um, because we think that it's it's more powerful that way because people have different views on on what the best moments are. So that that's the first differentiator with Fountain. And then the second thing is you can um, on Fountain you can support your favorite podcasts with Bitcoin over the Lightning Network. So you can set a per minute stream value. Um, or you can send a boost, which is just a one-off payment um, with a message. So yeah, at a high level, that's what Fountain does. And you guys were building Fountain prior to, you know, the epiphany of Bitcoin and Lightning and streaming sats and stuff like that. So what was that epiphany like when you realized that this potential was there? Yeah, so we were, we'd been working on Fountain for uh, maybe three or four months Um and it was actually just when we started building Fountain that I uh, came across uh, Podcasting 2.0 and what Adam and Dave were doing. Uh, so I was following along quite closely. And yeah, originally, 
Fountain started to solve what we thought was a big problem around uh, podcast discovery uh, and also the problem of time within podcasts. So, you know, as I'm sure many of your listeners will have this problem whereby you have so many new episodes in your feed each day or each week that you can't actually get through them all. Um, and we just wanted to create a way uh, to make it easy for listeners to share the best moments from podcasts. So that's what we set out to do with the clipping. And then when we saw, when I first saw the spec for the value block in podcasting 2.0, for me, it was just a no brainer. I'd been, um, you know, following Bitcoin for a long time and was completely sold on uh, the value of Bitcoin as a monetary network and all the problems uh, that it solves. However, I didn't ever think that I would be working directly with it as a developer. And when I saw the spec and saw uh, what was happening with the Lightning Network, yeah, it was just a complete no-brainer. And we knew that we had to make that um, a core part of what we wanted Fountain to be. So we kind of uh, jumped on it implemented it very quickly and doubled down on it such that you know the main positioning of fountain and also a lot of the features within fountain are all built up around that we'll come back to that in a second but i'm interested you know bitcoin tends to be a mind virus right and it just kind of it's all consuming and i'm interested in knowing from someone like you who just said you know you'd known about bitcoin for a while and been involved but then you decided to build a initially non-Bitcoin related podcast, you know, uh, socially oriented or social sharing sort of app. Uh, why was that? What, what was the reason why you weren't drawn into doing something uh, specifically Bitcoin oriented from the get-go? Yeah, I, th I think for a couple of reasons. I think one, I, I didn't think that I would have the, uh, you know, I always thought of people that were building on Bitcoin to be building at the protocol level. And I just, to be honest, didn't think that I was, you know, you know, uh, capable of, of getting involved with the development at that level. Um, so that was probably what uh, held me off looking into it more deeply from a technical perspective. But then on the other side, um, you know, both me and my business partner, Nick, had a very deep belief that, uh, podcasts and podcasting the the format are an amazing media format and in this day and age um, they bring people a lot of joy a lot of companionship and a lot of insight and learning and so we both wanted to work on podcasting specifically for that reason and we thought that we could actually change the way podcasts were consumed quite significantly without too without too much um, work so yeah it was a kind of combination of those two things how has the integration of value for value and streaming sats into the product changed your view of what it is likely to become or what you want it to become i think the original goal with fountain of making it easier to share the best insights that you discover in podcasts. Um, I, I still think that is critical to what we want to do with Fountain. I think adding the Bitcoin Lightning payments um, is going to accelerate that actually, because suddenly we have a tool um, of you know, financial incentives to play with. And that's really exciting. So for example, right now in Fountain, 
you can send Bitcoin to your favorite podcast. That's it. But there's so many more opportunities with Lightning that we can build into the app. So for example, giving podcasters the ability to reward their listeners for creating those clips and sharing those clips. Or for example, we have a clip playlist feature. And this is a feature that isn't isn't too much used at the moment, but we think over time this is going to be really powerful. So for example, take this podcast. Um, if somebody in 12 months time comes along, discovers this podcast and wants to get a feel for it, um, they, they might go to an individual episode and, and be recommended by a friend for that. But we think with the clipping and the playlist, there's a great way for people to um, go in and sample the whole thing in a much shorter time frame, pick up those key bits of insight, and then from there, go into the back catalog and explore further. Um, mm. And I think that's really beneficial to podcasters and therefore giving them the tool to incentivize their listeners to help them do that. That's just one of, the, one of many examples of how without Bitcoin and Lightning, we wouldn't be able to do that. Or actually, we would find it incredibly difficult or expensive to do that. Yeah, I, I'm, not sure, I, I'm not sure if this is available already, probably not in this precise form. But, you know, on that point, it would be really cool, like a, another potential use case would be, you know, if, if someone you follow whose perspective you really uh, admire or like, right, if you could go to their playlist of clips, and maybe they've tagged them, right? So this one is like Bitcoin, and this one is econ uh, economics, and this one is politics. And you could just listen to their playlists across, you know, several shows, whatever shows they listen to. And you could just get like their distilled, like what they thought were the most uh, interesting insights. And you could kind of consume their perspective and the content in a very efficient way. Is that kind of what you're thinking and where you're going? 100%. Yeah. So we actually have that functionality already within Fountain. So if you find a uh, user profile within Fountain, you'll be able to see all of the clips they've created and also all of the playlists they've created. So if you go and find my profile on Fountain, you'll be able to view all of my clips. I've got a playlist on Bitcoin. I've got a playlist on podcasting 2.0. I've got a playlist okay, on Okay, so you just create different, different playlists, playlists exactly. for different subjects if you want. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. And so when, did, when was the integration initially? When did you first uh, integrate streaming sets? Yeah, so we integrated the value block spec in June of 2021. And then we were testing it in beta for a couple of months and we launched in August of 2021. And how's it been going in terms of uh, uptake, in terms of number of uh, sats streamed? What's been the, the response been like? The response has been amazing, honestly. Um, yeah, we're, we're growing quite significantly. I think there's some really interesting things that have come out of it that we didn't even expect. So to give you a couple of examples, number one, the retention for anybody that has actually topped up their wallet and supported a podcast is so much higher than it is for the average user. So it shows that the act of supporting is something that once people do it once, they want to come back and do it. Um, another thing that's really interesting is people tend to support more over time. 
So when they first come in and, um, you know, top up their wallet, they might top up 500 sats or 1,000 sats just to play around with it. But once they get used to it, um, there's actually a, a feeling of connection that uh, making one of those payments brings to the listener. So you feel like you have a way to reach out to the, the host in a way that they're actually going to read the message because they, uh, because you've sent a payment along with it. So it tends to lead people to um, support more over time. Now, this is this is very much dependent on the podcast host talking about this system because we also see a lot of podcasters that add the value block to their feed and then just expect the money to start showing up on their node or in their wallet. And a really important part of this is to integrate the value for value message into the show format. So to explain what value for value is and to actually ask your listeners to support you. Um, But yeah, yeah, we've seen some really interesting uh, things since we integrated it. And this is all despite many, many UX challenges in terms of onboarding to um, the Lightning Network for, because a lot of users that are using Fountain haven't come across Bitcoin before. They're not using Bitcoin or trying to get their first Bitcoin on Lightning because, because they think of it as an investment or know anything about that side of things. Um, they're using it purely because they want to support their favorite podcast on Fountain. So I think, yeah, it's really encouraging that even despite those UX challenges, uh, people are still managing to get through and get their first Bitcoin and, and actually use it in this way. Yeah, for sure. What, what do you think? Because I think at to, to some level, and I don't know exactly how much, this is part of the interest in this is like it's a novelty right now. Hey, I didn't know I could stream money. I didn't know I could so easily tip, you know, creators um, that I that I like. But obviously, I mean, like most creators make their content available. Well, it is available for free on, you know, anywhere their RSS is picked up, right? Any other podcast apps and that kind of stuff. And so it was interesting to hear you say that there's a lot of options for the content creator to be able to incentivize engagement and and that kind of thing with streaming sats as well. It can can be a two-way street is, is the point. But what do you think, how do you think this evolves you know we talk a lot about on this podcast and in the space generally about how important it is and how amazing it is that kind of value is being unleashed right so instead of having set prices or paywalls or any of that kind of stuff on any information-based digital content out there which is really like when you think about i mean it's become so commonplace and most people don't go through the paywall right like how many people are gonna be hit with a new york times paywall thing and be like oh yeah i'll sign up for 15 dollars a month or whatever like nobody right so it's really exclusionary it's determining you know i kind of think of it in in a communistic sort of sense because it's determining what the value of the good that you want is and like there's an element of that in all pricing right but with a with a digital good um where the marginal cost is basically zero it opens up a different valuation dynamic and I think what it does, and I've heard you discuss this on other podcasts, is obviously it allows people to decide for themselves what the value is and whether or not they're going to contribute. And that means most people, they won't contribute anything, right? Because, you know, they're not financially incentivized to do that or, you know, they, they want to hold on to their sats or whatever. But some people will contribute way more than you otherwise might have charged them. 
right? So you, you know, I might have charged you 10 bucks to listen to my show or read my magazine articles for a year. You may have ended up actually paying me $200 because you valued it so much and you wanted to support me and you like the message and all those sorts of things. And I just think that's such an amazing phenomenon that's emerging right in front of our eyes that so many, so few people realize is that we're, we're allowing, the whole point here is to allow value to be expressed, you know, by the user in the form and way that they want to express it and not to have all these uh, restrictions in place that, cu- that make you, that impose value upon you, I guess, to, to maybe use a little bit dramatic la- language. And so what is your impression about that dynamic, kind of this setting value free aspect of all this, and then how you see a platform like a podcast app and the, the payments that are integrated into it evolving over time? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the first thing I would say is there's still so much more work that needs to be done from, from our side and um, just generally around value for value in explaining um, the philosophy and teaching creators, teaching podcasters how to talk about it. Because if you frame asking for money in one way versus another, it has a completely different effect for the listener. Um, And it's something that Adam Curry has talked a lot about. And I think his analogies that he's used around, you know, your favorite piece of music, how would you pay for that? And another one that I like to think about that most people can probably relate to is think about when you go and you buy a, a cup of coffee in the morning and, you know, however much it is, $5 roundabout, how much do you enjoy that cup of coffee over the next 20 minutes, half an hour, hour? Um, and, and that's about $5 to you. Now think about an amazing podcast that you listened to in the past week. I'm sure probably everyone here listening has listened to an episode in the past week that brought them way more value, way more enjoyment than that $5 cup of coffee. And I think it's just about reframing the value of content in people's minds and bringing in these equivalents or these analogies so that people can understand, okay, I do actually pay, I pay out money all day long for these small moments of enjoyment but some of the biggest moments of enjoyment that i'm that i'm actually having during the week are listening to episodes and i'm not giving anything and i think that explanation and i probably haven't done a great job of even explaining it myself that's the philosophy and the explanation that we need to get across Um, but we've got so much more work to do around that and i think what we need is uh, almost some scripts that we can just give to podcasters and say hey guys like here's a few options how to explain it you can explain it at the start of your show you can explain it at the end um but i think yeah the the language the analogies the equivalent examples i think that's what we need to make this sustainable over the long term and not just let it be you know the novelty of streaming bitcoin uh for the first time so that's something that yeah, we need to do a much better job of, and it's going to take time. I do think, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we're probably, you know, as this develops, more will, you know, be elucidated about why people value something like this. And I I do think that, you know, if you could characterize what you just said as kind of a push, right, like pushing people 
or, or sorry, rather pulling, pulling people into it, like trying to entice them to interact and, and pay in this way. I think there's definitely a role for that. But I also think in the media and censorship landscape that we're in and seems to be getting worse all the time, whether it's censorship, you know, uh, implicit censorship from advertisers, let's say, that are kind of saying like, hey, you know, watch your language, don't say this, don't say that. Or if it's overt from the platforms, uh, you know, Rogan is a great current example. I think that will be somewhat of a push into this monetization model, right? And of course, right now, it's not on the same level dollars for dollars uh, in terms of advertising at, for, for most podcasts, I guess. But as this develops and as people become more comfortable with it, I mean, if you've got 5, 10, 20,000 people listening to your podcast and everyone's just chipping in like a quarter or a buck, you know, per, per show, I mean, that starts to be quite material, especially if Bitcoin continues to do its thing as a part of that. Um, so I do like, it, it will be interesting to see how much is that like people come to it out of almost necessity and then how much people come to it because they, cause I think in a hyper Bitcoinized world, and this is entirely speculative, but it's been my experience with my own spending with Bitcoin and seeing the generosity and the considerate how considerate Bitcoiners are, um, it seems like there's a willingness to engage in this kind of stuff. Whereas like previously, you might've just said, I can get it for free. Why the hell would I pay for it? You know, and fair play, right? You're, you're going kind of against your financial incentives, economic incentives to do that. But I am kind of sensing like this emerging respect for value within particularly this kind of counterculture or Bitcoin ecosystem where I think more and more people will be receptive to the idea of if they're receiving value, they have the freedom to determine what, how much value they're receiving. And then they have the ability to frictionlessly and seamlessly express that value to the person who's providing it. And so I think that will also be a component of how this, you know, develops over time, even as antithetical to like economic thought that, that, that may be, you know, Bitcoin is, that's another way that Bitcoin is just weird, right? Like it, it's paying for things in Bitcoin is a different, gives you a different feeling than paying for things in fiat. Yeah, 100%. And I think that, it, again, it comes back to the UX of the onboarding because right now, the m most places where people actually go and get their first Bitcoin is through some kind of exchange or uh, a, a product that looks like an investment product. And so it instantly frames um, people in, in that mindset. I think where we need to get to is the ability to just buy Bitcoin on the Lightning Network, you know, so seamlessly that no, it requires no explanation. And that will always, that will also um, change the framing because it won't be, okay, I have to go into my investment pot to to get the, these sats and, and put them through fountain it's a d different way of thinking about it yeah what i mean what are the considerations that you guys have to make you know dealing with quote-unquote money dealing with liquidity because obviously people can sign up for fountain and they don't have to run a node they don't have to have inbound capacity you know you guys are a custodial provider providing a certain amount of liquidity what's that that all been like for you guys yeah, it's challenging and we haven't figured it out yet, to be honest. Um, I think the thing that gives me hope is that this is not something that just Fountain needs to figure out. This is something that in the future, every single app developer is going to have the same problem. 
And it's not just going to be businesses, it's going to be individual app developers that just want to integrate Lightning into you know, their apps, their games. And I think a solution for developers is from a regulatory and compliance standpoint is going to have to um, be developed because it just doesn't make sense, for example, for Fountain as a podcast app to have to KYC our users just so that they can listen to podcasts and support their favorite shows. You know, that just doesn't, I think intuitively, logically, that just doesn't make sense to anybody. Um, so yeah, it, it's challenging at the moment. We're trying to figure out the best balance. Um, but yeah, like I say, I, I'm very optimistic that in the long term, um, this will be something that just is eventually ubiquitous. It's in every app. And whether it's, um, you know, a third-party provider or developments on the non-custodial side that give us the UX we need, I'm confident that the solutions will actually uh, be there. It's just how long how long will they take? Yeah, I mean, you know, regulatory always plays catch up to innovation, right? But it, it's it already seems so absurd because, as you say, if if we think of it now as money, right? And so if you handle money, if you custody money, if you transmit money, you're a money services provider or transmitter or whatever they call it in whatever jurisdiction. But if you look at it in terms of what Bitcoin represents and allows for, as you said, every app will most likely have a means of expressing value. You know, like it's, it's just a, a kind of a no brainer in, in ways that we're probably, you know, we probably can't even imagine right now, but it doesn't mean that they should be treated like and regulated as a money transfer service right and have the kyc as you say and all that kind of stuff it's so we're going to look back on it and we're going to think it's how silly it was that like you had to treat and any app that allowed for the expression of value as a bank you know it'd just be so stupid exactly it's crazy and i think you know i think people get that even people that aren't convinced on bitcoin from you know uh, changing the world perspective you know i've spoken to people that just work in regular finance and uh, on the regulatory and compliance side of things. And when you just explain it like that, simply like, hey, we're a podcast app. Hey, we're, we're a game. Um, I think they understand. So, yeah, I'm hopeful that we do get some kind of change there. But, yeah, we'll have well, to it's see. Part, it's part of, the, part of the process, right, of, of people coming to grips with and educating themselves about what Bitcoin is and then what money is and can be. And how that reframes their, their perspective on things. You know, I talk about this all the time, but things are so siloed and uh, so rigid and full of friction right now, you know, for the transfer of value, you know, because people look at it as like money, oh, we need to track it and money laundering and terrorism financing. But really, it's just a means of expressing value. And Bitcoin represents the potential to dramatically reduce the friction involved in doing that. And kind of unsiloing everything so that value is a seamless network rather than all these different siloed uh, repositories of, you know, collected value, let's say. And then in order to switch between them, there's a high degree of friction and a high cost and a, and a low speed and all of that kind of stuff to just, it's almost like you just lift up all those silos and the network becomes connected and frictionless and open. And of course, we you know this is, these are the term, terms that people in Bitcoin use all the time, but I think that alone will change people's perception about what money is. Far less of like you know a bill and a bank sort of imagery, and far more of just this free flowing amorphous system of 
value transfer, you know, and that, that's what it should be because that's how it works in our minds and that's how we express it. You know, we're, we're hindered by our means of expressing value right now dramatically. And what I think Bitcoin does is it unhinders us from expressing value. And I think that means that a lot more value will be created and expressed and transferred and, you know, we'll all be better off as a result. Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's gonna it's gonna take time, but I think we'll get there. <laughs> so, what in the meantime? Do you guys just kind of have to skirt regulations? Because you know, I can si- I sign up for Fountain without any KYC or anything like that. Yeah, so uh, we're still figuring that out, to be honest. Um, and uh, th- we've got a couple of different approaches that we could take, but yeah, we're we're still figuring it out. That's that's all I can what, really say. What are the moment. options for, for companies that are trying to integrate Lightning in terms of ma- managing regulatory requirements? Yeah, so I think the two um, options are, number one, custodial partners. So um, the, the idea that if you look at your phone's home screen and you think of all of the different apps that you use, um, the idea that each individual app will have its own lightning wallet and you top up each one individually that doesn't necessarily lead to the best user experience um it might be that the way this all goes is you have your one lightning wallet on the phone and you basically grant permissions out to all of the different apps that you use so be that a game be that a podcast app, be that a messaging app, or be that, um, you know, a a browser that integrates lightning such that you get over the paywall, uh, ridiculous UX that we spoke about earlier. So I think that's one option is the custodial partnerships. We're talking to a few people at the moment, and I do think that we will start to see those offerings um, come out. And then the other option is the non-custodial option which I think we'll get there too, but it's just a lot more complex right now um, and requires a lot more work. So I think we are actually exploring it. But, you know, I think, again, looking at that example of just you've got one game developer building just an app as a side project to make some money, you know, that they're not necessarily going to be able to do that. So I think those are the two options. We're exploring both at the moment. And I'm just hoping that we can arrive uh, somewhere in the middle where we do what we need to do without having to introduce too much friction to new users. Yeah. Do you think regulatory um, issues are that influential on the user side? So, for example, like technically speaking, in most jurisdictions, if you send a lightning payment, I mean, it, there may or there may be a tax. Uh, it may be a taxable event in in certain cases, right? Now, I know, like I think in Germany, if you hold a commodity or Bitcoin for over a year, maybe there, I don't think there's any tax on disposal, something like that. But do you think that is a hurdle for users to engage in something like this? Because, you know, they may want to be on the right side of things. You know, obviously a lot of users will just be like, well, it's inconsequential and I don't see how it's ever going to be followed up on. So I'm happy to just, you know, spend a few bucks here and there on lightning. But do you think it's a, a major consideration for users at this point? I don't think it is, no. I think the biggest blocker and the biggest um, challenge is just the UX of you've got a brand new 
user who loves podcasts, they've never heard of Bitcoin before, they've never heard of Lightning before. How do you get sats into their hands? And right now, it is just convoluted, it's challenging. And, you know, I'll, I'll go through what we recommend right now, which is to uh, download Blue Wallet. That's the one we recommend. And then actually with Blue Wallet, you can buy Bitcoin directly on Lightning through MoonPay. So you can actually use Apple Pay on an iPhone to, to buy Bitcoin on the Lightning network. But that's still, you're telling a brand new user that's just come to your app to listen to a podcast or support their favorite podcast. You're telling them to go through, okay, first, leave Fountain, go download this other app called Blue Wallet. Then essentially you have to, within Blue Wallet, sign up for another service called MoonPay and put in your details there. And, you know, by the time you've explained all of this to new users, the the drop-off is just quite high. So I think that is the biggest challenge. We've had a couple of people mention the tax implications, but really it, I don't think it compares to, to the usability challenge. I mean, where I want to get to, obviously, is just something where we can just have top up with, um, you know, Apple Pay within Fountain. Um, it, I, I don't think we're quite far away from that, but that would be really good. Because also, the other thing is for Bitcoiners that are using our app and sen- sending sats to podcasts, I think it helps to separate the Bitcoin that you are you know, storing for the long term and the Bitcoin that you're sending um, as part of the value for value system on a regular basis, because then you can kind of see it as an expense in the same way that your, you know, Netflix bill goes out or, you know, yeah, like using the coffee examples from before, like your coffee bills will turn up. Uh, I think seeing um, supporting podcasts in that sense rather than drawing down on your investments makes it a lot more uh, palatable oh definitely yeah i think i think it's probably the case that most bitcoiners have you know deep cold storage hodl stack and then there's some in a hot wallet and a lightning wallet uh you know for spending and having fun with and playing with that kind of thing um yeah i mean the the, the fiat on off ramps are going to be the major friction for a long time right i think it's interesting i think i heard jack mallers the other day because someone was saying about this argentina launch they were like you know but can people buy bitcoin in the app and i don't think they can i don't think that's part of it right now i think it's just like a usd basically or usd stable coin exposure and sending sort of mechanism which would which it seems like for that population right now would be a tremendous value proposition anyways but he was saying that you could buy bitcoin because if you had a strike account and you were in Argentina, then you could just download Blue Wallet and you could send yourself Bitcoin, right? Because you could send dollars or stablecoin from your strike account to someone else, quote unquote, in Blue Wallet as Bitcoin. Strike handles the conversion. It doesn't, so it's not buying you Bitcoin within your strike account, but it's doing what they do by sending, you know, fiat to Bitcoin. In, a, in another wallet that you hold. So that's that's kind of an interesting way that the friction is being minimized at least a, or reduced a little bit. Yeah, it's definitely reducing. And for example, Cash App, you know, integrating Lightning 
that's another example that um, makes things a lot easier for people. And also on the creator side, gives people confidence as well that this is something that is worth putting the time into. How has the, um, you know, speaking of Cash App and Spiral and Square, or whatever the appropriate name is right now, uh, the Lightning Development Kit that they've recently put out and more tools becoming available and more, I guess, expertise emerging around uh, using Lightning. Has any of that been helpful to you guys or what, what's it been like working with Lightning generally? Yeah, so we actually use a service called LNPay um, to manage all of our um, Lightning transactions. So that's made things incredibly easy, actually. So, so I would uh, definitely recommend if there's any developers listening to go and check out LNPay because it makes things really easy and they're working on um, more of the uh, non-custodial side as well. And the... The value, the revenue model for you guys is take a cut of streamed and boosted sats. Yeah, so we've got a, a few different um, revenue streams. The first one is we actually add five percent to every transaction. The reason we add the five percent rather than take it off is just to maintain the numerology of the boosts, which a lot of people like, um, and then. If we also have a premium subscription, which is two ninety nine a month, and that will get rid of the five percent fees, um, and also give you that ability to create clip playlists that I talked about earlier. Um, so yeah, they're the two main methods at the moment. Has there been much uptake on the subscriptions? Because if we go back to what we were saying about paywalls and stuff like that, it's it's like it's almost the antithesis of streaming sets. You know, or maybe that's a bit of a strong word, but do you know what I mean? Like on the one hand, you have uh, user-determined value expression. And on the other hand, obviously the app is determining it. So what, what has been the uptake on the premium uh, fee or model? Yeah, so I think one thing is the reason we added it in the first place was just to, um, as a kind of insurance policy against Apple actually rejecting the app entirely because of the lightning payments. Um, so we could kind of say, hey, Apple, look, here's our shiny premium subscription. Don't reject us. Um, <laughs> so th the proposition around Fountain Premium is not totally thought through. Um, you know, we kind of rushed it. That being said, we do have quite a few premium subscribers. And I would say that the majority of them are not paying for the feature set. They're actually paying just to support us. So it kind of still is. Uh, a, a little bit of the value for value model, but we need to do much better on that as well. I think we need to give um, people a way to support us more, you know, maybe whether that's a higher premium subscription or a one-off lifetime payment in Bitcoin, for example, that's something that we're thinking about because I think, especially for Bitcoiners, uh, for me, I think this is an incredible way to onboard people to Bitcoin because there's, a lot of people out there that probably just aren't interested in, in the monetary philosophy side of things. This is a practical use case where you can suddenly send micropayments to your favorite podcast and all of the features that we can build on top of that. Um, I think it's a great way to onboard new users to Bitcoin. We've been onboarding a lot of new users to Bitcoin through this. Um, and especially for podcasters as well, they just see it as a really cool way that they can receive um, receive payments at the end of the day. So yeah, I think we need to do a lot better in 
giving giving people a way to support us with a little yeah. bit more value. It's it's the coolest thing ever. I got to say, like the 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 amounts in U.S. dollar value today are fairly negligible most of the time. You know, like whatever you may maybe receive. 10 to 100,000 sats over the course of an episode or a couple episodes or something like that. Whatever, let's, let's just say it for the sake of this, it's immaterial. But there's just something about receiving Satoshis that is like, feels way better than, let's say, you know, the fiat you get from invoicing a, a podcast sponsor or something like that. It's just different. Like you see it come in and it's mind blowing. You're like, holy cow, like 10,000 Satoshis just came in. And what is it? Like five bucks? It's nothing. But there's like there's a visceral feeling uh there's a really good visceral feeling that comes from it i guess is what i'm saying yeah 100 percent. and the cool thing and this is something that we didn't realize at first is that that feeling is also present for the listener that's actually sending the yeah. payment because you do feel like you have um a connection with the host and you don't have to leave your current context you can continue listening and send that payment all in the same headspace and so yeah it's a really great way to feel connected to the host i should probably know the answer to this i think it's no but you can't respond to boostergram messages as the podcaster can you not yet but this is something that we are working on and uh, can hopefully share something soon but yeah 100 percent, this is not just for us, we don't see it as a one-off payment. We see it as the start of um, a deeper connection and engagement between the host, the um, listeners, the guests, and also just everybody together. So I think there's lots more to do on that front. Um, yeah. yeah. Because as you were just saying, like that connection, that, that feeling that the listener gets when they send sats, that's definitely, there's something special there but all the better if it opens up like a, a line of communication. Like if, if someone sent a hundred, you know, whatever, 50,000 sats in a boost or 10,000, if I could easily see those and just respond back and maybe even send it all back, you know, maybe I can just, I'll boost it back as just a, a thank you. Like I appreciate the gesture, but you know, not today or you have it or something like that. And that would be such a cool way to develop a relationship and a connection with your, with your listeners. Exactly. Yeah, we're really excited about um, developing all of when that. When's that come coming down the pike? Um, hopefully soon. That's all I'll say. <laughs> um, but I'd be I'd be interested to know, John, how you guys are set up at the moment. Like, uh, what what Lightning implementation are you using for the node on the podcast? Yeah, I'm not the one to answer those questions. The the you know Gigi and the guys that have been doing a lot of work on this stuff are probably better able to answer that. So. Uh, I'll have to defer to them, but it is interesting. I think, you know, because the team at CT uh, was instrumental in getting per episode splits done, which is awesome, right? Because it just, it adds, it just expands the the expression of value even further, right? Like, so it's not on a show level, but if you have a certain guest on, or if that guest um, is particularly a supporter of a particular charity, which is often the case with our guests, then they can direct a certain portion of the the sats to them, which is super cool in perpetuity, you know? So for the next, when people listen to these shows on, uh, on podcasting 2.0, streaming sats apps five years from now, um, Bitcoin will be accruing to the, 
the charity that they chose, you know, as long as everything remains in place, which is really, really cool. Um, and a little, uh, what, what am I, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, a, for a little uh, plug for our website, but the CT website, if you send a boostergram to this show right now, uh, it will get posted on like a, you know, kind of like a graffiti wall under the episode on the CT podcast page for the CT website for the, you know, the podcast page on the CT website, as long as it, you know, kind of passes the mods and it's not too uh, extreme or anything like that. But that's, you know, it's just playful. It's just kind of doing things with this and seeing uh, what the possibilities are and, and how people uh, use it and what can be learned from that. But it's super cool. It's super cool to see that the, these, these possibilities emerge. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting when the, it becomes a two-way street and a two-way communication because, you know, that's when, I don't know. I think it becomes a lot more sticky then, and people people start to appreciate the model a lot more when it can it can it's established that way. One hundred percent, yeah. And there's so much more that we can do as well. Like a lot of podcasters in the Bitcoin space right now are just you know running their own node at home, um, and so even though they see the Sats streaming in, they have no idea who's sending them, what app they're coming from, what the message is, which episode it was from, and not only that, but they can't see. Uh, that information over time so you know the ability to go back and see, look okay which episode brought in the most sats over the past three months oh it was this episode oh, i wonder why maybe that's a signal to do more episodes like that or which users are supporting me the most over time okay it's these three users um let me thank them or give them some kind of reward that makes them feel uh, yeah exactly more of a bigger part of the community so all of this uh, all of these things is, I think, will accelerate the adoption. Um, yeah, I I totally agree. What are our analytics going to be a part of what you guys do at Fountain, like providing uh, creators with that kind of information? Yeah, so we are actually working on a podcaster wallet feature, and this will give any podcaster the ability to sign up within Fountain with one click create a podcast wallet and then receive sats and also see the incoming messages and detailed analytics on, you know, yeah, how much, how many sats they've earned over a given period, which episodes brought in the most sats, who supported the most, and also a breakdown across which apps are bringing in the most as well. So that's something I think will be live by the time uh, this episode goes out. But if it, oh, if wow. it hasn't, then you heard it here first. But we're really excited about that because, again, at the moment, for we speak to a lot of podcasters that really are interested in this. Um, again, not necessarily because of Bitcoin, even though we're big believers in Bitcoin. They're, they're just excited about um, the concept. and But for them to set up their own node and, and do all of that is, is too difficult for them right now. Yeah. What do you think is going to be the the differentiator between other apps who, you know, provide, um, podcasting 2.0, uh, functionality, you know, so the, there's a number of them in the space now and they keep popping up, like from a business perspective for you guys, what do you think will be the, the thing that separates you or, or draws creators and users to you guys versus anybody else? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's uh, a combination of 
design, user experience, and just execution on the product. So I think whichever app delivers the best podcast listening experience will be the app that listeners choose to use. Um, So that's something we're very focused on. Um, But we're not there yet, definitely. We've got a lot of work to do to get feature parity with, for example, uh, some of the bigger podcast apps. Um, And then, so I think it's, it's healthy that that competition exists and we welcome it. I think there's another interesting dynamic, though, Um, specifically with Podcasting 2.0 in that the various Podcasting 2.0 enabled apps can actually work together to compete against the legacy platforms like Apple and Spotify and Amazon, et cetera, because they're not going to implement Lightning payments anytime soon, in my view. And so if we can um, join together to build some of the features that are in the pipeline, like, for example, cross-app comments, where, you know, a listener from Fountain can leave a comment on an episode and then a listener from Breeze can reply to that comment and then they can interact. That's something that podcasters have been wanting for such a long time because at the moment there's no, there's not a one place where people go. That's why you often will, uh, a lot of podcasts will go on YouTube purely for the comments. So I think that's an example where even though we're all competing against each other, actually, if we want to start taking serious market share from Spotify, Apple and the others, then we can actually work together to implement some of these new features. Yeah, it would be super cool if podcasters had available or content creators had available to them like a aggregation of all the comments cross platforms so they could just, you know, sit on the couch and respond when they've got 30 minutes or an hour. Or they're just doing nothing all in one place and not have to hop around. Exactly. And also, because if we do this on top of Lightning, um, I mean, Twitter right now is just ridiculous with the amount of spam that oh, exists. Man. It's like so horrible. Every, every tweet that you look at, the replies are just, you know, 75% spam. And yeah. so doing things on Lightning would just um, completely solve that problem out of the box. We wouldn't have to build anything any special systems is just a pure financial um, barrier in order to make a comment, which gets rid of the problem. Yeah, I agree. What do you make, speaking of Twitter uh, and Jack's exodus and how he's kind of going on a tear, you know, whole hog into Bitcoin and Bitcoin related things now. Um, Title is his content platform. And I suspect he will be integrating a lot of the things that come available with Bitcoin and Lightning. And I mean, that just seems like a no-brainer given his involvement. How do you anticipate or approach, you know, larger platforms with a lot of capital, network effects, that kind of stuff impacting what you guys do? Yeah, I think I think <laughs> Tidal will probably add Lightning payments at some point. I guess the question is how long will it take them and how much can we um, build our head start before they do. Um, I think this is not a new problem. Um, You know, before Bitcoin, before Lightning, every company that builds something new has this problem where the incumbent could just, you know, copy you and and build those features. So I believe it will happen. Um, You know, hopefully we can just build, as I said before, you know, an incredible design, incredible user experience, incredible features um, before that happens. Um, But I'm confident that, some of the stuff we have coming will 
be really exciting. So yeah, we'll have to see. Right. Um, what's it been like building a, a company and a service in the Bitcoin space on the bleeding edge of, you know, Bitcoin and lightning and value for value? Cause a lot of, I think a lot of people, when they take the orange pill and fall down the rabbit hole, it's all consuming, right? And you, you know, you're in your day job and you're like, man, this blows. All I want to do is learn about, think about, you know, build, create around Bitcoin. And uh, those of us who end up being able to do that in some capacity and actually have our work kind of combined with our passion around Bitcoin, it, it, it ends up being a fairly fulfilling endeavor. And so I'm just wondering what it's been like for you, because I, I know that you were in, involved in a few startups uh, non-Bitcoin related before and, and working the corporate tech sort of uh, gig and world, which a lot of people, you know, I, and I worked in, in the finance world and, you know, it can be fairly soul destroying because it's so divergent from, you know, the principles and the work that you want to be adhering to and doing. So what's it been like to be able to commit? I assume this is a full-time commitment, correct me if I'm wrong, but what's it been yeah. like to commit to, uh, to Bitcoin land full-time? Yeah, it's been great. Um, yeah, as you say, it was uh, two areas of uh, passion in my life, Bitcoin and podcasting, that have come together. So I, I feel incredibly lucky to be working in this space um, and enjoy it every day. And also, you know, I, I feel that I'm cheating a little bit because if I go and listen to a podcast at lunch, really, I'm just user testing my own app. So I don't need to feel <laughs> guilty about it. Um, but yeah, it's been amazing. And I just, I just feel like I hope that we can um, actually deliver on the promise of this technology and specifically value for value, because um, as I said before, there's so much more work to do. And I want to make sure that the podcasters that are setting up um, with value for value and are, you know, making their show lightning enabled, that they get a return on that over the long run whether that's a financial return through the sats that are sent or a return in terms of better engagement and interaction and connection with their listeners. So yeah, it's incredibly exciting. Um, but at the same time, uh, I think the pressure's on to actually make this mainstream and make it work because it, we've got the opportunity in front of us now. Um, yeah. you know, it's working. Um, the, all the metrics are going in the right direction. Uh, we just need to execute and, and make this mainstream because, um, yeah, for people, as I, as I keep saying, for people that have never come across Bitcoin before, you show them how this works and they're incredibly excited and you don't have to go through that whole, um, you know, education process. It's just like they see it, they use it for the first time and they're like, wow. So, yeah, hopefully we can deliver on that. On that point is most of the challenge involved in the work that you do now, aside from what we were discussing earlier about regulations, is it getting the word out and promoting and, and marketing and, and getting, you know, uptake and exposure or is it development side of things? I think it's two things. I think one is the development side and just building all of the features that listeners uh, expect from a podcast app. So things like, um, uh, voice boost or skip silences some of these um more um you know high power level user. audio yeah. yeah power user features they're really important and then you know our clipping for example 
we're using a commercial transcription service. So we only transcribe it when you hit the button. There's a bit of a delay. Stuff like that are all just technical challenges that we will solve. And then the other, I think, biggest challenge is educating uh, podcasters and listeners on value for value because that is actually really difficult. It's difficult to ask a podcaster to change the format of their podcast if it's working to include a segment on, you know, hey, uh, send me some sats, download this new app. Uh, it, that's quite a challenge. So we we need to do better on that in terms of uh, providing examples of how to do it and how to do it well. Like, for example, uh, Adam Curry and his No Agenda podcast, like the, the level that they're at with value for value oh. in terms of, you know, um, asking their their um they, they call their listeners producers because they want them to be part of the show and you know i, I almost want to um i mean your interview with adam and, and some others that i've had are incredible resources that i always point podcasters towards as a first step to learn about it but i think there's so much more uh education that could be done around that in terms of you know here's five different ways that you could bring value for value into your show format whether that's um you know a q a at the end or you know a special episode once a month that goes into it or yeah so that is actually a big challenge other than just the technical stuff that we've got to do yeah adam hammers it home all the time reminds people tells them asks for it uh reads notes from people has you know like it's and I guess that's what it takes right now in, in, in such early days to, to get people to do that. And I think, you know, obviously, like anything, there's so much complacency when the legacy model is probably st still more advantageous for most people. Now, it has its downsides, and I think Adam is good at articulating what those are, and he's obviously super committed to, you know, going in a different direction. And kudos to him for that. But, you know, it, it's probably going to take some time. What do, what do you think is – we talked about the kind of uh, – aspect of of joy i guess in a, in a sense of listeners rewarding or expressing their value for the content <clears throat> do you think it's i mean it would seem for mass adoption they have to get something unique in return right and so maybe adam is a great example of like reading notes or bringing people on or or broadcasting you know audio messages and stuff like that what do you think, and we talked a little bit about this back and forth connection that could be established, but beyond those things, what do you think the, the users, the listeners could or would receive in return that would really um, bring them on board with this type of model, really engage them? Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, I think the, the connection with the host, we've kind of already talked about that though. And then I think... Um, showcasing your support you know having your support public i think is something that would encourage a lot more people to um actually support if you could go and see publicly somewhere okay here's the the top boost for this episode like you guys do on your website um because then as a host you can say hey guys last episode the average donation was 5000 sats um like what are you guys doing like are you sending anything so i think yeah. that's a big uh incentive for people to pay more you know it's are you i'm sure you're aware of what's going on in canada with the trucker 
convoy. And uh, a couple of yeah. Canadian Bitcoiners have set up a TallyCoin account to receive Bitcoin payments because $9 million was uh, withheld by GoFundMe and is apparently being refunded after an attempt to just say, well, if you don't want your refund, we'll uh, distribute it to other uh, charities that we deem acceptable or something, which is just so Crazy. outrageous. But um, but what's interesting is this, this, and I hadn't, I mean, apparently TallyCoin's been around for a long time and I, I wasn't familiar with it or maybe had seen it a, lo- a long time ago, but you can, you know, you, you make your donation of whatever amount you want, Lightning or on-chain, and then you can write a little message and you can include uh, your name or alias if you want to or not. And so you see the message, the name alias, and the uh, amount of sats. And I think there's something reinforcing happening with that. You know, like I, I go there now just to see what kind of messages are being written. I've already donated and everything like that, but I go to the page just to scroll through and be like, you know, is, is it somebody I know or is it a funny message or, oh my God, someone donated like uh, 50 million sats or or 200 million sats or like there's been some crazy donations too. And there's something really interesting going on there that I can't really put my finger on. And I think it, it would have applicability in the, the podcasting value for value realm. You know, like if you could, cause instead of just being like, you know, having like a, a, a hierarchy or like a, a win column or podium where like, you know, Oscar contributed a million sats to my podcast today. Isn't he great? But just like this ongoing feed of, of messages, interaction and like sats amounts is a little bit less like uh, status oriented, but it still has that element of, of showcasing who is contributing, what they're contributing, what they're saying, how often, like, the other th- fun thing is like I'll go to the tally coin thing and, and do a, do another lightning donation for like a neg- negligible amount of sats just so I can write another message, you know, like truck fudo and stuff like that. And uh, um, so it's I don't know. There's something interesting going on there. What have you have you looked at that? And what do you think? Yeah, I mean it's amazing some of the um, the numbers that have come in, and I think it's it's gone up. The last I saw it was. Um, 7.5 bitcoin and i'm sure it's up way more than that as we speak um yeah it's incredible and um i think it shows the power of lightning um but yeah i think you're right that it shouldn't be necessarily about how much you're sending i think we we leave it up to the podcaster as well you know however they want to use those messages and those payments they can they can do it um yeah yeah, I just, I, I guess I think, I think, I think we should all look at that a bit more, what's, what's happening with that, because I definitely think there's applications for drawing people in and uh, to the value for value stuff and making it more sticky or, I don't know, there's something engaging about what's happening there. And it's not just we're, we, we feel we're contributing to a, a worthy cause. There's, there's, there's some other element going on. Yeah, 100%. And I think, I think one thing that, is going to be incredible once we enable this for all podcasters and you know explain it properly put the education out there is the combination of the streaming sats which we already have the messages the episode level split and the live tag which is something that the podcasting 2.2.0 um uh community are working on you can imagine a scenario where 
you know, someone does a podcast live from Ottawa and is interviewing, you know, everybody who's there. And you can actually donate live whilst listening to the podcast. And, you know, all of that goes directly to the cause. So, yeah, I think that is going to be incredibly powerful in the future. We just need to just need to make it all much more seamless than it is right now. Yeah. Is there nothing Bitcoin based that, that does that right right now for like if you're streaming video where you can you can just uh, send sats live? That's I think there are I sh- potentially a couple of browser extensions that let you do that. Um, but again, it's it's challenging if you're trying to take it mainstream and have anybody use it is, you know, just installing a browser extension is quite, quite difficult. Yeah. This is another thing that I've, I've, I've spoken to some people who are working on it, but you know, this, this, this Ottawa thing maybe has a lot of really interesting uh, insights contained within it. Cause like another one is a really heart wrenching video, right? Like with the music and with the signs of peace and love and all this kind of stuff. And whoever, created that video being able to um receive like sats per views something like that right and of course like it can be copied and redistributed in another way but it's kind of like uh yeah i I think it was paul etoy from sphinx who was who was and, and maybe even jack dorsey who was talking about like at some point being able to do this but like um i guess publishing it like a a podcast in a sense and as you're watching it being able to stream sats to the person who uh, released it or who owns it or something like that. 100%. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is um, most people think of a podcast as something that you listen to, but actually it's just content that's hosted on an RSS feed. So, you know, there's no difference in streaming to a video compared to streaming to audio. Yeah. And what I love about that kind of stuff and the potential for that is like, because there's so many, beautiful uh intensely emotional moments like that happen online all the time of course but particularly in the world in like the world we live in today where there's a lot of messed up stuff happening but a lot of really like awesome bright spots emerging and like these you know i guess previously it would be like the video would become viral or or the picture or the meme or whatever and uh just to know that like we're going into a future where that impulse or that emotion that you feel can be translated into, you know, uh, a contribution very easily. And what impact does that have? You know, it's not just like, I mean, I think it has a big amp- impact because that person doesn't just get to, you know, have their name to a viral video, but they actually accrue financial or monetary value and capacity from that. And, you know, how does that spread and amplify things and, and properly incentivize or, or more powerfully incentivize those very actions that are causing people to, these emotions to well up in people. You know, it really is kind of like monetizing or drawing out or incentivizing, you know, good, uh, good, you know, good emotions, stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the ability for you to contribute through any medium that you want and it all going to the same place, which is only possible over Bitcoin and Lightning. Uh, that's the really cool thing about it. And I think, you know, I talked about the cross-app comments on podcasting earlier that um, 
that everyone's thinking about and and working on but it, it doesn't even have to be podcasts you know the power of lightning is that the data that goes along with the payment can be aggregated and used and you know be used and responded to anywhere really it's all it can all be joined up so i think the possibilities are endless with this um we just need i think creativity we just people need people to experiment and yeah we do need just uh, a more encouraging regulatory environment so that people aren't put off from these um from doing these experiments yeah i totally agree uh what excites you the most i mean obviously part of the answer is what you're doing right but the space in general whether it be lightning or on chain or anything going on in, in bitcoin more broadly what excites you the most about what's currently happening? Yeah, great question. Um, I think the global adoption is probably the most exciting thing for me. And it does tie in a little bit to what we're doing, but just the ability to have a common system with somebody anywhere around the world and um, be able to just I think it brings people closer together around the world if we're using the same payment system, uh, we're using the same tools because they're all built on top of the same payment system. Um, and I think, yeah, just the global adoption is the thing that excites me the most. I'm really excited for this year to see if there's any new countries that come out and adopt Bitcoin. Um, and also just I've see- I've heard rumors. You've heard rumors. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Seems like there is probably going to be a couple at least. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think just the ability for, um, yeah, just in the same way that with Fountain and streaming sats to podcasters, it brings a connection between the listener and the host. I think when people share the same payment system um, in different countries around the world, it also brings a connection. And the products and services can be shared more easily. You know, a product like Fountain, you know, we're in the UK, that can be used all over the world because the pay we don't have to roll a new payment system in every country. And then similarly, we can use um, Lightning-enabled apps and products from any country because they don't have to roll a new payment system for the UK. So I think that's just one example of how it brings people together from... Um, different countries around the world. So I think that's probably the most exciting thing for me. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, and it's not something I've really explicitly considered much, but there is like a interesting and I think beneficial sense of like unity that uh, is bestowed or like befalls you when you and the other person are operating using not only just the same monetary system, but the same monetary system with no intermediary and using a form of payment, a currency that is not the transference of a liability. I mean, that's what fiat money is, right? I'm transferring you uh, a liability of whatever it is, 2% a year, 8% a year, 10% a year in this environment, maybe even a lot more depending on where you are, right? So we're, we're engaging on the same system for the expression of value that nobody is in between us and that we are handing each other, you know, it's true value for value. Like you're handing me a burrito or content and I'm handing you, you know, the best money that's ever existed. No 
a, a liability associated or attached to it. And those, you know, and there's probably more elements of what's happening there, but just those three things alone really seem to change the dynamic of what's happening in a transaction itself. And I, you know, like I, I was in El Salvador recently and it was definitely the case. I mean, it was really awesome to be able to transact with someone, not by going to the cash exchange place and, or, and getting US dollars with whatever currency I had, and not by using an intermediary on a, on a particular app or whatever, but literally just transacting face-to-face, person-to-person with the person you're getting value from in a money that respects the other person as much as has ever been the case, right? By not handing them something that's going to, that has a detrimental component to it, let's say. And I don't, yeah, I mean, there's a very unifying element of that and it's, it's super interesting. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't expect that, I guess, because, you know, I've been a hodl as, as hard as anyone. And, you know, I, I've been a kind of anti-spending, you know, I always leave a little bit for uh, bits and pieces, but hodl as hard as possible. And being in an environment where it's so ubiquitous and it's so easy to use, uh, it's inviting. Like it, it, not I'm not saying like I go on shopping sprees, but when spending must be done and when I value whatever it is I'm spending on, it's really cool. And I prefer to spend in this money in this way on this network than you know the legacy system. It's it's awesome. Yeah, exactly. And actually, one thing that I'm really looking forward to seeing is more content. Um, you know, sometimes I think we've got enough Bitcoin content and enough Bitcoin podcasts <laughs> out there, but I, I actually you, think <laughs> <laughs> one thing that I actually think would be really cool to see is whether it's a podcast or um, any any other content type, is more stories about global adoption and how um, projects are working kind of between different countries. I know there's been a lot of focus on El Salvador, but obviously Bitcoin is um, has massive adoption in places like Nigeria, but I'm sure it's all over the world too. Um, I'd love to hear more of those stories. And I think if we could tie it in with something like the episode level splits, just to give people the ability to, you know, jump from a fascinating global Bitcoin project to fascinating global Bitcoin project in each episode. And then in each one, know that whether it's 50%, 80%, 90% of the sats are going to that project to fund it. I think content like that would be um, incredible. Um, I, I'm not sure if there is something out, like that out there, but um, yeah, I would love to I think, listen to it. I think there probably is, but even if there isn't, there's probably a lot of it on the way. You know, that, that's the beautiful thing about all this. Like the, the constraints on any system of expression, be it monetary, financial, informational, value, whatever, uh, largely dictate what emerges within such a system, right? And if we're kind of receptive to the idea that we're removing a lot of the restraints on the ability to express value and to communicate information simultaneously, then I think we're, we should prepare ourselves for like an explosion of really awesome stuff in, in, in terms of being able to express oneself uh, as a result of that. And so, you know, I think it's awesome that you're a part of leading the charge and allowing that to happen and um, leveraging the removal of those restraints i think it's super cool and uh yeah I, I can't wait to see what how you know what results from all this so uh any you know anything we didn't cover that you want to discuss or any last words before we shut it down 
No, I don't think so. I think, yeah, just if you uh, haven't had a chance to check out Fountain, please do download it. We're live on iOS and Android. If you have any feedback at all about the listener experience or anything, please send me an email, oscarfountain.fm. Um, and if you're a podcaster as well that wants to get set up, um, get in touch because we're launching our podcaster wallet. And yeah, um, would love your feedback on the app. Uh, I guess that's it. Awesome. Well, look, man, uh, congratulations again on the success thus far. I wish you guys the best. I appreciate the time today, and I'm sure we'll speak again some point in the future. Amazing. Thanks, John. All right, brother. Take care. I hope you all enjoyed that discussion with Oscar, and thank you for any and all streams and boosts. Using Fountain, you can actually include a message in your boost, which will show up under the episode on the podcast page of the CT website. So give that a whirl. If you'd like to hear more from Oscar, follow him on Twitter at Mary Oscar, M-E-R-R-Y-O-S-C-A-R, or visit fountain.fm to learn more and download the app. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Closing the Loop, and we'll see you next time.